agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hugs the government love. The government hugs the government love. The government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by Cleveland area attorney and Republican factotum, Jay Carson. Hey, Mike. Good afternoon. Usually yeah. it's, it's morning, but yeah, it's afternoon. Kind of, it's kind of a weird thing. We're, we're recording this actually on Friday afternoon because, well, Kristen was originally scheduled to join me today, but she had a last-minute thing. And and as he has often done in the past, Jay has, uh, I don't know, he, he ridden to the rescue I'm, exactly. But he I'm has, here when, Ameri- when America needs me. There you so. go. <laughs> There you go. So so thanks a lot, Jay. Uh, also, thanks to our supporters who have increased their level of support during these yeah, pretty rough times. Uh, that's Peter, Kalina, and Shelly, as well as to our newest supporters, uh, Kimberly, Jake, Andrew, Brian, and Gabriel. It's really been gratifying to see all the support. We have gotten on this show from you, and it means a lot to us. Thanks so much. And if you're not a supporter yet, and if what we do here matters to you, and you know you are in a position to help us out, hey, that that would be great. Uh, especially now when our ad revenue has well completely dried up. Uh, and as a supporter, you get access to a full-length bonus show each week, as well as you know, other things at different levels of support. And to check it all out, you can just go to Patreon.com/slash/PoliticsGuys. You know, sometimes a monthly support pledge is just too much of a commitment. We also have PayPal, and you'll find the support link for one-time PayPal at politicsguys.com slash support. We also put these links in our show notes. And finally, if you do want to get our midweek bonus show, but you just can't afford to financially support the show right now, not a problem. Just send me an email, mike at politicsguys.com, and I will make sure you get access to everything we're putting out. Okay, Jay, so I want to actually backtrack a little bit to start off. We normally don't do this, and this isn't exactly right. a, a, a retraction. You usually start up asking me how I'm doing. You know, I, yeah, I, yeah, but that's, you know, I, did, I not, did I not do that? No, oh my God. no. How are you doing, Jay? I'm, I'm almost $3 trillion better than I was this morning. <laughs> yeah. I'm having a rough time of it because I refuse to get a haircut until I can go into a place without a mask or weird distancing things. So I'm pretty much just going to end up, uh, I'm halfway to, well, my goal is kind of Arthur Schopenhauer, but I think I'm going to end up with Art Garfunkel, unfortunately. And there's not a hell of a lot I can do about that, but I am standing firm in my resolve here. So, but, but anyway, uh, you know, last week, you remember we discussed the new Title IX rules, uh, sexual harassment and so forth. And yeah, that rings a bell. Yeah. Well, when we were talking about the rules themselves, you know, I felt like we didn't really disagree on the rules themselves. And, you know, and in fact, I'm actually on a governing board of a university at my my own, Northern Kentucky University, <laughs> you know, and and uh, I just, the faculty and in their infinite wisdom elected me to that position. And most of the other folks are, you know, appointed by the governor. But if something like this came before me as the representative, you know, of the university for, uh, for policy and so forth, I, I wouldn't have any problems basically approving what I understand the Department of Education's regulations to be. Now, there are almost 2,000 pages of them, so I'm obviously, you know, glossing over a few things. But in general, and, and the issue I was trying to raise when we talked wasn't related to the policy itself, but to how it was mandated. And my point was that the federal government here is using its you know colossal fiscal power to basically force the policy on every institution. And 
Maybe that's okay in the end, but I thought it was an important point to raise because, you know, I don't have to tell you, Jay, since the New Deal, uh, the federal government has used uh, fiscal federalism and all kinds of other things to essentially dictate to the states in, in all right. sorts of areas. And yeah, it's called, yes, the spending power. There you go. And meaning, yeah, if the government, if the government's going to give you money. The government can attach uh, strings yeah. to that money. Yeah. And sometimes it's 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 the sense where the states don't feel they have much of an alternative. And that's why I wanted to bring that up, because it seemed to me to potentially represent a conflict, maybe for some conservatives who, of course, believe that university have universities have gone too far in favoring you know, uh, alleged victims over you know, uh, those they're accusing of sexual misconduct. But at the same time believing that the federal government goes too far in imposing its will on states and private businesses and so forth. And, and, and that's what I was trying to get at, but based on listener feedback, I don't think I did a very good job of it uh, essentially. And, and I guess I wanted to bring it up to you because as a conservative, and I think you believe both of those things, there's maybe a little bit of a tension there, maybe more even for you than there would be for me. I'm not, I'm not tense at all about it. Um, (laughs) no, I I think, I I think the, the, um, I I understood, I understood what you were getting at, right? You were, you were saying, listen, if the federal government can, uh, do these, uh, impose, um, I mean, I, I I could be kind of play with words here and say impose due process, uh, on universities, they could also impose uh, other processes on, um, yeah. Uh, private businesses and I, that, that I as a conservative would typically object to something like that of the government telling private businesses what they can and can't do. Uh, but that I am applauding this, this step um, regarding, uh, uh, you know, yeah. uni- public universities. Now I, I think, look, um, you know, I guess the, uh, the, the uh, what a, what a consistency is a hobgoblin of shallow well, minds. You know, um, maybe another way to look at it, Jay, is not all slopes are. Yeah, there you go. They, yeah. Well, I mean, not all slopes are slippery, or some slopes yeah. are slipperier than others, basically. And so, I, and I, that's kind of where I come down on this, I think. And so, a part of the reason I think this was confusing is that I generally don't do the devil's advocate thing. I just generally have my position and I just plow right ahead. And, right. and that was confusing. So when I got, you know, listeners saying, well, you know, you don't care about due process rights for people accused of crimes. It's like, Oh, I totally didn't mean to say that. And so that's why I wanted to bring that up. And also something we, you and I don't, don't believe in a, a governmentally enforced due process. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't even know that I would say that obviously, but I think, you know, this is a point that we raise in other ways on the show. When you and I talk a lot is that sometimes we can be for outcomes, but not necessarily for the process through which they were achieved. Basically, we sure. don't, we don't necessarily believe that the end justifies the means. Sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't. And, uh, that's kind of what I was getting at. I think, you know, in the end, I come down with you feeling that the end is important enough that it justifies this. And it's easier for me as a, as a liberal to say that. But anyway, I just sort of wanted to, uh, to, I don't know, maybe clarify that a little bit, or maybe I just confused it even more. Who knows? We'll find yeah, out. I, I get you. And, and to clarify uh, the extent I need any clarification, um, uh, you know, I, I think uh, my point would be that what we're talking about here is is basic fundamental due process. Uh, when you're accused of something, and I think the point I tried to make, and maybe this didn't didn't uh, come over or come come across the airwaves, um, was that in in many private businesses there is already this some sort of enforcement mechanism out there. 
uh, but that enforcement mechanism didn't exist for uh, for college students. Um, and and look, in my in my perfect world, uh, these new rules would be unnecessary. Right. Right. Because because wise uh, faculty members and administrators would say uh, we are committed to fundamental due process in any sort of disciplinary hearing that we have as part of our institution. Yeah. Um, and and therefore there would be no need for this. Um, but that's not where we are. Um, so here, here's uh, there. Here's the rules. There we go. All right. Um, so moving on, we talked about another thing we talked about last week on the show actually was the Michael Flynn case. And of course we brought that up after the justice department requested that the charges against Flynn uh, to which he pleaded guilty uh, be dropped due to in the department of justice's view, the fact that Flynn shouldn't have been interviewed in the first place, as well as what I guess they now see as an inability to clearly demonstrate that a crime was committed. And now this week, the judge presiding over the case, Emmett Sullivan, appointed former a former federal judge, John Gleason, to oppose the Justice Department's motion and to consider whether Flynn committed perjury and not not in line to the FBI. And, Jay, you and others pointed out this last week that that isn't a crime in and of itself, but Correct. but uh, rather whether or not he lied in his sworn testimony in court. And that would be perjury. And uh Judge Sullivan's also going to accept briefs from parties not directly involved in the briefs, uh, in the case, our so-called amicus briefs, who believe that the charges against Flynn shouldn't be dismissed. So that's one part of it. And the other part of it is that some Republicans now are accusing top Obama administration officials, including Joe, Bra- Joe Biden, Joe Biden, Joe Biden, uh, right. of deliberately attempting to sabotage the, at that point, incoming Trump administration by unmasking foreign intelligence surveillance references, which, you know, involved Trump administration officials. And that, of course, would include Michael Flynn. Now, Biden, along with most Democrats, argue that contrary to what these uh, what so-called Obamagate promoters claim, requests to unmask Americans that are part of a foreign surveillance is pretty common. And the way the process works, they wouldn't have foreknowledge of who the masked people were. And it's also been pointed out that the Trump administration does a lot of unmasking itself uh, over 10,000 times in 2019, which is actually more unmasking than in the last year of the Obama administration. Right. And then Although oh, a, lot, a lot of those those um, unmaskings were due to a lot of uh, focusing on on things like uh, uh, cybercrime, um, hacking and so forth and, and that sort of thing. So there was there was there was an increase in the collection of the data as well as sort of the unmasking in order, but that's right. so, no, a separate thing. No, not me. I mean, it's a fair to point out when you're just talking about numbers, not all unmaskings are potentially created. Right. And, and not all yeah. political. What yeah. is what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. And so then though, later this week, a uh, Thursday, president Trump just yesterday said Congress should call former president Obama to testify on all this. And president Trump further claimed that this is all Obama. This was all Biden. These people were corrupt. The whole thing was corrupt and we caught them. And then when he was asked what crime he believed president Obama committed, president Trump didn't say anything beyond some terrible things happened. And then he said specifically to the Washington post, you know what the crime is. The crime is very <laughs> obvious to everybody. All you have to do is read the newspapers, except yours. So there you go. A little <laughs> shot at Jeff Bezos, Amazon, Washington Post, fake failing uh-huh. media. Um. Anyway, so Jay, uh, 
a lot obviously going on here yeah. in this last week. Uh, what do you what do you make of these latest developments? Really starting wherever you want. Well, well, some okay. The first first and foremost um, is uh, the judge's appointment of of a former judge to do exactly what, which is uh, again, this is. I, I, you know, the word unprecedented is thrown around a lot these days. Um, but I, I've never heard of a, a situation where the prosecution says we're going to drop the case and then the judge says, well, yeah, maybe it's somebody else who, who might want to prosecute something else. Um, uh, and, and hey, we'll open it up to, uh, to comments. Um, that's, that to me is, is actually really very troubling. Um, and I would, I would think would be, be profoundly troubling to, to most anybody. Uh, the idea that the, he's sort of sitting as not only judge, but judge and prosecutor. Um, so that's, that's problematic. And there was actually a, uh, a, a, um, Supreme court decision a week, week ago. And uh, this was one of our sort of like backup stories, maybe to talk about if we had time. And, and of course we didn't because of all this other stuff. Yeah. But that was a, a, a unanimous Supreme Court case uh, where the opinion was written by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, kind of smacking down the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, for doing the same sort of thing, albeit in the civil uh, civil realm. Now, again, the, in, in the civil realm, it's it's uh, even more acceptable. Well, I shouldn't say it was civil because it's, it's but it, it wasn't the type of criminal prosecution of, of hey, you think this guy's guilty? Uh, I, so the, the court basically said, look. Uh, cases are are between parties, and in a criminal case, it's between the state and uh, the defendant. Um, the judge uh, isn't there to to uh, you know to to make law or to pursue anything else. They're there to uh, umpire this dispute between uh, the the parties. Uh, let me let me um, ask you a question here, just to make sure I'm I'm clear. Because I agree with you that this is. I heard that. I heard what Judge Sullivan. Uh, is it Judge Sullivan? Is the name yes, right? yeah, Judge Sullivan, Sullivan. Yeah, so it did, and I thought, wow, that's that. I'd never heard of that before. But another thing that I never heard of before is uh, is the federal government getting a guilty plea from somebody and then saying, oh, you know what? Never mind, actually. And so, to me, I get what you're saying, and I think we have a lot of unprecedented stuff. And this, to me, is why. I understand why people on the right are troubled by this. I understand why people on the left are troubled by this. And I think the problem is not the problem necessarily, but the circumstances here are so unique and the stakes are so high that while I certainly acknowledge that what he's doing, what he did is unprecedented, I can understand that if I were a judge, a federal judge in this instance, that I might, I might want to say, you know what, I'm going to take a step back here and maybe get some more information before I decide what exactly I want to do if I want to say this guilty plea is is, is tossed out and so forth. So I, I don't I don't guess I guess I'm not as troubled by it as you are in light of the circumstances. OK, well, in terms of does this happen uh, elsewhere, I'd say no, not not often. The idea of the government taking, um, uh, you know, having a plea and then and then dropping the charges. Um, but it does happen. I can't I can't name names uh, off the top of my sure. head because no, no. most most, you know, criminal convictions and it, it doesn't involve the National Security Director. It, you know, involves some some kid who has picked up selling drugs or something. Right. Sure. Um, but but there are certainly uh, uh, plenty of, of incidents. And if pushed upon, I could I could go look some up where, you know, years down the road. 
uh, prosecutors find based on whether it's DNA evidence or something else that, look, somebody confessed to a crime uh, that uh, that they didn't uh, actually commit in order just to because, well, they were confused. Uh, there was just too much pressure. There were other things going on. Um, and in those cases, the cases are dropped and the person's restored to freedom. Um, uh, so, yeah, it, it does happen. And that's sort of there there is a a very much a duty on on the prosecution to always do justice right and if they look at this and say look i don't think there's a a crime here yeah um there's a, there's a duty to not prosecute yeah. and i wonder um, i think there's another duty and maybe i'm wrong about this but i feel like there's duty for for everyone involved in in adjudicating this to ensure that if uh, if a plea is changed or if something is done it's not to curry political favor to, you know, help out a superior or what have you, but it's done in the pursuit of justice. And I think that's, that's what makes this case a little, not a little bit, but a lot different from the drug dealer when new evidence comes up or something like that, or a, or a guy was, you know, coerced into pleading guilty, right. though certainly there, there's an element of that in this for, for sure. And, you know, more generally, gee, I got to say, this is why I so much prefer to talk about policy as opposed to stuff like this, because you know, it feels like here in these kind of stories, there's so much we typically don't know. And you get a lot of argument by innuendos and a lot of cherry picking and all that sort of thing. And and where most of us, not you and I, of course, because we're better than that, but where, yes. where so many people on both sides start is from an assumption of corruption, illegality and bad faith. And they just kind of work backward from that saying, well, let's assume that Donald Trump Donald Trump met with Vladimir Putin in their, you know, James Bond bad guy right. lair or, or, you know, or that, you know, Adam Schiff did the same thing, who Adam Schiff has not had a good week, obviously. But I think that's a real problem. And I've been giving this a lot of thought in the last week because, of course, you know, a lot of some of what we've seen. You've come around since last week. Well, yeah. you know, I, I think I've said from the beginning that I, I'm going to try to stay away from the Michael Moore kind of stuff, the, you know. That, that sort of stuff, which I didn't like when I was conservative. I don't like when I'm a liberal and I'm, I'm trying to focus on official sources and documents and, and I'm trying to go where they lead me. And, and on this, as, as you know, as we talked about last week, this led me to a, a you know, a, a position of a certain amount of skepticism for uh, people like, uh, uh, you know, the, in the Obama administration, you know, depending, I don't know how high it goes. It's an important question, obviously. And, and certainly people like Adam Schiff, who it looks more and more like he misrepresented more than a few things in some of his statements. Uh, but here's I tried to kind of pull back and, and, and try to get a larger take on this. And here's what I came up with. And and I want you to sort of jump in and, and right. you know, but so the Obama administration, uh, intelligence and law enforcement on law enforcement folks there. Back in 2015, 2016, they were hearing a lot about how Russia was attempting to influence the elections and specifically that Russia preferred, strongly preferred that Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton. I think that's generally agreed on, right? Russia's interest and its interest on behalf of Donald Trump. Um, yes and no. I'm, I might put a, a, a sort of a, a little, I don't know, wouldn't say spin, but but note that to some extent, Russia's bigger interest, I think, is just sowing chaos in the and U.S. Donald system. Trump is, yeah, hey, if you and want Donald chaos, is, yeah, yeah is, there you is, go. Is prime for that. Yeah. No, I, um, I'm not necessarily I, saying. I think regardless of who was elected, their their number one goal is is chaos because they like to be able to discredit the American system. Sure. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, that's not 
I totally agree with that. And, and obviously, you know, evidence of that or even claims about that, that's, that's pretty serious. And you yes. would want the intelligence community and law enforcement community to look into it. And given, I think, both the magnitude of the issue and I would say some bias against Trump, especially after he won the election, which, you know, most people didn't think would happen. I think it's hard to deny that the investigators, at the very least, pushed the envelope in a way that almost that well, in a way that is should everyone should find at least somewhat troubling, but also in a way that probably no one would have taken much issue with if there was actual evidence of collaboration between Russia and the Trump campaign, if that had been found. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. So the next thing, though, is that so they, they took a big risk. They took a big swing. But compelling evidence of collaboration just wasn't found. Uh, And the Trump campaign and then the Trump administration, which, you know, quite possibly is the most inexperienced administration in in our lifetimes, maybe longer than that, Jay. They made some mistakes and possibly they even did some shady things. Is that fair to say? Um, Probably. I don't know. I guess I'm I guess I'd have to. Mistakes, absolutely. Questionable uh, things. Questionable. Yeah. How about questionable, questionable decisions? How about that? Qu- questionable decision in, in things like um, uh, Trump saying to uh, to to um, Comey, "I wish you, I hope you can see clear to let, yeah. let uh, exactly that, that sort of thing." Okay, which and, I may or may not I certainly could have the appearance of impropriety, even if it isn't. Yeah. So, giving President Trump the benefit of the doubt, uh, you know, President Trump. Knowing that his campaign did not actively cooperate with the Russians and being famously sensitive about a lot of things, including his popular vote defeat, right? Does any, any idea that he didn't fairly win the election? Uh, he did what he always did. You know, he, 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 uh, he sh- shot, shot out, overreacted, hunkered down, didn't cooperate at all. And sure. I think almost everyone knows that that made things worse. A whole lot. And his that instinctive. Well, I, I mean, you can't say that firing, you know, firing Comey didn't make things worse. Oh, it, it made things worse. Yeah. But I, I, I also once once you're done, I could make make very much an argument that particularly in light of what we know now, it was the right decision. Like, OK, yeah. And, and let me just say also that there were plenty of overreactions on the left, too. And I think, you know, conservatives this week have been talking uh a lot, particularly because some documents came out about Adam Schiff uh, misrepresenting facts and just being, I think at times it seems to me just outright disingenuous of what he said he knew and could prove that doesn't seem to be supported by the documentation that we have. And I'm not saying folks on the left are going to jump all over me here. I'm not, I'm not suggesting there's an equivalence here. But why, why would they jump all over you? That's what I don't understand. I mean, because at this point we're, we're talking about, here's what the documents Here's what they said. And yeah, I think they jump all over me because they might think that I'm saying that, well, both sides do it. And and, you know, so I I think that would be a false equivalence because I believe that far and away, the biggest problem here is President Trump, Uh, not so much in the inexperience or you could argue the incompetence. Uh, Actually, sometimes I think that works to the liberals uh, benefit, but in his reaction to the investigation and his contempt for uh, the investigation. And I, I, again, if he is, if he is not guilty of doing these things, and especially given his personality type, it would be bizarre to think he would react 
any other way. And that's my point, I guess. The larger point is that if we start with an assumption that Donald Trump is guilty, well, then he's just an awful evil human being. But if we start with the assumption that he's not guilty, which I don't know, maybe you should give the president of the United States the benefit of the doubt when it that's, comes to- That's typically the way it works. You know, yeah. Well, especially when it comes to collaborating with, you know, with the especially Russians. Especially when it comes to saying, you're, you're committing treason yeah. with one of our greatest uh, strategic- uh, uh, Exactly. You know, enemies, not enemy may be strong, but no. historic, uh, historic rival. Yes, certainly, it, so, certainly a, a nation and a leader that doesn't have uh, America's best interests at heart. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, things like, for instance, you know, uh, people saying, well, you know, what was what was Flynn doing talking with Kishlak in, in the first place? Well, that's a totally normal thing for an incoming national security incoming, advisor yeah. to do, yeah. you know, and so it just... It just feels to me like this is one of these situations that we already have a hyperpartisan environment. We have a guy who is a, has a penchant for hyperbole and polarization in the first place. You throw that, you know, you throw that lighter fluid onto that polarized fire and plenty of people on both sides were more than happy to just overreact in concert. And now we're at a situation where it's almost impossible. Everyone is so hunkered down in their positions, that it's almost impossible for anyone to give even an inch of ground. And it's an awful place to be. Well, you know, part of this, again, is is we can, you know, I think one of the things that, that has handicapped a discussion on this, and and it's it's a reason that you and I have not had this, this you know, really a whole big discussion on these kind of things until fairly recently, is because we don't have a definite set of facts or documents or or yeah. something to latch on to. It, it was all just uh, uh, sort of innuendo and, well, this could have happened, this might have happened, and speculation. Um, but now we do. We don't have all of them yet. Um, and the ones that are missing, uh, that's that's sort of another story. Why, why, why don't we have those? Um, but to me, the, the, the biggest trouble, and you point out that, look, Trump's reaction to this, uh, him knowing that he was innocent, and when I say innocent, I mean uh, not guilty of, of uh, colluding with the Russians to steal the election. Yeah. Uh, right? I mean, I'm, he's done plenty of other goofy, dumb, shady, whatever. Um, but uh, uh, not certainly not guilty of being what, he's, what he was charged with uh, or what was, was alluded to. Um, and the, but, but the irony is, so he acted that way knowing he was innocent. What we're learning now is, well, the prosecutors knew he was innocent, too. And that's the big that's the big problem. See, uh, I think, had, yeah, that that's where you and I, I think part company a little bit. I think that the prosecutors didn't know that he was innocent. Now, they I, I think you can make a much stronger case that they they knew Flynn didn't do anything wrong. But in terms of what the president knew and okay. when he knew yeah, it. All right. That's but, but yeah, that, that's you know, that's a that's a fair distinction. Um, uh, but in, in the end, uh, you know, this. There, there was still uh, certainly the FBI uh, had, had ample reason to question the Steele dossier, yeah, which was what it was sure. basing so much of this on, which what it based the uh, the Carter Page wiretaps on, um, and they did things that that are so sleazy. I mean that you know leaking leaking the um, uh, the dossier evidence to BuzzFeed and then using BuzzFeed's reporting on it to take that to the court to say, look, see, this is this is happening. Um, uh, that's that's really uh, disingenuous, and it's 
it's hard to ascribe something different than a, a political motive. The other thing I just wanted to touch on in this, because you know what, we're going to be talking about this for a while, I think, because there's going to be more documents coming out. There's going to be more stuff that's going to going to happen uh, on this. Um, and, you know, but, you know, the main thing, Jay, of course, that you and I are both waiting at is the Durham report, which the Durham report, yeah, that is supposed to be coming out, they think, May or June. Well, they thought initially May or June, but now with everything, it might be it might be later. And oh, my oh, my God, can you imagine if it's, you know, an October surprise or I mean, not a surprise, right. but, you know, you hope it comes out before that just so there's enough time to kind of process that, because that's that for me is going to be huge because yeah. we we. Anyone who's being intellectually honest here knows that John Durham is not a is not a partisan hack. I mean, it, it seems pretty again that that presumption will evaporate when yeah. the report comes out. You know, and and you know the same thing. This reminds me the same thing with uh, with Attorney General Barr. I hear all this that he's that he's carrying water for the president, that he's corrupt and so forth. But it seems to me that what's a lot more likely is that President Trump and his team. After Jeff Sessions said, well, who should we pick as the next attorney general? Well, how about somebody who has a strong belief in executive prerogatives and executive power? And, uh, well, who do we have? Who do we know who's like that? Who has a good reputation? Yeah. Bill Barr. Okay. I, and and when, when you work from – and that gets, again, to that presumption of bad faith. When you think about who Bill Barr is as a person well before this – a lot of things fit without having to posit him being corrupt. And sure. that's that's the frustrating thing to me in all this is there's so few people on either side are willing to start from that as opposed to start from, well, obviously this guy's corrupt. Yeah. Here, here's, I mean, something else that I, I look at also in terms of, you know, maybe, I don't know if you want to say it's assessing credibility or assessing motives, but how it's like, how hard does uh, one side have to work to get its point across. Uh, if if you read the the uh, the motion uh, to dismiss, uh, it's it's really pretty straightforward, and and I think most anybody who reads it would get it that you know this goes to Flynn and say, listen, there's just no basis that we can come up with for one the investigation that had the interview and that he made a material misstatement. Uh, uh, that was that was material to the investigation of the crime that he would have that was being investigated, which ostensibly is the Logan Act, which I, I don't think yeah. anybody could, yeah. could really take take seriously. Um, uh, so that's you know to me that that's okay. So all of these people now who are calling for Barr's resignation and so forth, uh, and the people who will be filing amicus briefs uh, with Judge Sullivan. I guess the test I'm going to look for in that is, look, can you articulate uh, what crime it is that that Michael Flynn committed and why he should be charged with that crime? Um, setting aside even the fact that he probably would probably would have been a mistrial because of the withholding of the Brady evidence and all that sort of thing. Um, but <clears throat> if if anyone out there, and I'm, I'll invite our, our listeners too, if you can articulate what it is that that he what crime he committed. Um, yeah, you know that I'd be interested in hearing because that's that's the thing that I think the the motion to dismiss sort of knocks out. Um, no, I, I agree. I mean, and and I'm the I'm the last person who wants to see anything good happen to somebody who led a cheer of lock her up, you know, at the right. convention there. But 
it seems to me that the, the fact that he uh, said he was guilty doesn't really matter if there's not a crime and he was basically coerced into doing it. So, uh, you know, right. we'll, 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 we'll end your career, ruin your life, hurt your kids. Uh, but uh, hey, it's your choice. Go ahead and do what you want. You know, right. that's, or you uh, can or you can yeah, plead guilty yeah. and you probably won't get any jail time. And yeah, exactly. I, I mean, mean, what? What reasonable person wouldn't take that? You know, absolutely. So, uh, so I, I, one more thing I, I want to. Yeah, put no, in. please. This is this is because this is something that is weird that has is emerged from a lot of this the stuff when you read all the exhibits. Uh, is that there appears to have been this weird belief in the Obama administration, uh, and this goes to that January fifth meeting um, when they discussed Flynn uh, and his phone call with the uh, the ambassador that. Their their excuse for why they believed there well, there was collusion was because after the U.S. expelled a number of uh, Russian diplomats uh, over uh, these things like the the Facebook post and and just the general inter interference, um, that Russia didn't take uh, bigger retaliatory action against the U.S. And there seems to be this aha moment uh, in in this you know discussion with the president and and others that where they say well aha obviously. The reason um, that they didn't take uh, bigger retaliatory actions is because the, the fix is in. And, and to me, I, again, that's just that's just baffling, uh, right? I mean, mm -hmm. and and at, at best, and again, at this point, they've had they have the taped phone call uh, between Flynn and uh, uh, the ambassador, um, and I think Flynn says something even in, in his interview with the FBI about, well, I don't think I said go easy, but I, you know, had said you shouldn't escalate. Um, wasn't that something you'd, you'd hope anybody would yeah, say? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, that's what I, that was my <laughs> takeaway. Yeah, so what do you say? Oh, yeah, really? You should, you should just, yeah, screw you, us. buddy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, to me, to me, the proof would be if there was collusion, uh, would be that Flynn would say something like, you know what? You should really nail us hard, and I'll tell you, we're not going to do anything yeah. in return. To, to me, to, to me, Jay, the big thing here is, I mean, you know how I feel about Donald Trump. I haven't hidden it, but to me, the greatest threat here isn't from the president, as weird as that might sound to some people, because there are the, the, there's a spotlight on the president all the time. And the president is term limited and faces sure. the voters. To me, the greatest threat is from uh, an unchecked intelligence community. And, and they're they're the ones who are operating under the radar. And as I tried to point out last week, doing things like this all the time and that's what we really need to look into, because if, if people if people think that this is just one isolated incident, that's that's incredibly naive. And this, if anything good can come out of this awfulness, I would think it would be just a complete and thorough investigation that I certainly hope will get, you know, by the, the Durham report. But that's just limited to that's FBI yeah. and, and, and Russia. Yeah. But but something just greater for the intelligence community in general, because that is a potential threat to Americans, no matter who's president, no matter what party's in charge. And Absolutely. And I, I would point out that there's a lot of things that, that are sort of alarming in that uh, statements that uh, Clapper and Brennan have made uh, throughout this investigation, which similar to Schiff sort of implies that they know something that uh, that we don't. And, oh, yeah, there's there's uh, something really bad collusion here. Uh, and yet now that we're we're seeing the, the documents, uh, it turns out they they may not uh, have been yeah. uh, being being truthful in those statements. And I think that's that's very much a problem in, in that, uh, it, you know, at any time through this. I mean, I think Brennan could have said something like, oh, yeah, um, 
uh, Carter Page, he's working for us. Uh, yeah. Don't worry. Yeah, that must have been, you know what I mean? But but didn't. And that's, again, I agree with you. The, yeah. the unchecked intelligence agencies are, are I think, a greater pres- uh, uh, threat than a the, the threat that a president might somehow voluntarily agree to commit treason. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let's, let's just hope that, that, uh, some sort of change, some sort of substantive change actually does come out of that. And we know, as I mentioned last week, there's a model for that happening. It happened in the 1970s with the CIA. And some, yep. I think people would agree some very real reforms were made. We don't, we don't overthrow nearly as many governments as we used to, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so there's that. Or they, or they hide it better. Yeah, right? exactly. So I don't know, but, but yeah, that's the problem. Anyway. Um, uh, so let's uh, move on to, uh, well, we haven't talked about COVID a lot. Um, and so, you know, given the fact that earlier this week, House Democrats unveiled a $3 trillion COVID relief measure, that's, I think, worth talking about. Now, we're recording today's show, as I mentioned, Friday afternoon. A vote is expected sometime today, so we can't comment on the results. But what we can do is talk a little bit about what the package contains, if we think it's necessary, and why there's such strong Republican opposition to it. So to that first point, the key elements, and I should point out that Democrats, uh, or some Democrats at least, originally wanted it to be $4 trillion, cut it back 25%. So, you know, um, I don't know if you're going three, you might as well go four, I think. But hey, um, the key parts, uh, nearly a trillion dollars for state and local governments, an extension of unemployment benefits, another round of those $1,200 payments, $100 billion in rental assistance, $75 billion in mortgage relief, a significant expansion of the earned income tax credit and other low income uh, tax credit type programs, a $25 billion bailout of the Postal Service, and $3.6 billion for election security. Now, as I mentioned, some progressive House Democrats feel the measure doesn't go far enough. Then on the other side, Mitch McConnell's made it clear that this will not be approved in the Republican-controlled Senate, especially without anything about liability protection for businesses that reopened during the pandemic. So, Jay, uh, first off, I guess, you know, what do you think about this and what do you see ultimately happening here? Well, I, I guess I'm I guess what concerns me a little bit is we already have, have uh, put out three trillion already. Um, and it's it's not clear uh, what effect that money has had in the economy yet. Uh, I think it will. It has to, right? Because three trillion dollars is 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 uh, a lot of money. Um, so I I guess that would be my hesitancy. The the other piece of this is um, the big issue for Republicans is is this is not necessarily to bear bear uh, bail out Americans uh, who have lost their jobs, but it's to bail out state governments. State governments are absolutely hurting. Uh, for the same reason that that uh, everybody is, people aren't going to work, so they're not paying taxes, so they they don't have um, revenue coming in. While at the same time, they're getting hit by greater claims uh, on things like an unemployment system. Uh, some some states' unemployment systems are 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 better than others as far as as far as their solvency, as far as you know, as you know, all all the uh, uh, actuarial assumptions and and how much they need to to keep going. Um, that said, there are a lot of these big blue states, and, and Illinois is probably the uh, best example, where you have states that have run up significant debt uh, based on, on public pension liabilities that were existing before COVID and were going to exist after COVID. And now this is a 
uh, sort of seen as a sop to, hey, we're, we're going to uh, bail out these these states for expenditures, not necessarily related to the president emergency, uh, but but uh, related to the trouble they got themselves into in the first place. Um, there's also sort of in, in kind of a reversal in some ways of, of the Obama tax or the Obama. What am I saying? Obama tax cuts, uh, the Trump tax cuts. Um, in that, you know, the effect of, of that was to sort of steer away, uh, you know, you had a lot of folks in small towns, red state folks who were subsidizing uh, the, the the taxes in, in larger cities. Um, and this this sort of like, I guess, you know, in its own way, undoes that in, in having these these subsidies to the states. So, yeah, you know, I guess I can't tell you whether three trillion is, is the right number or not. But it certainly is a is a big number. Oh yeah, um, yeah. and and uh, I, you know, I, again, I'm 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 hesitant. I've you know, as as Pelosi, you know, famously said, I mean, we'll know what's in the bill when uh, after we pass it. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, I think I think things that that Mitch McConnell was talking about, like um, uh, liability protection, uh, are tremendously important, and and I think you need that to to uh, move forward with uh, with business as much as you need any of these other things. The other other piece of this is there are a lot of this money, um, you know, it doesn't always have to be government just gives you money. Um, uh, there are loans, and, and that's what the Paycheck uh, Protection uh, Program was was part of. You had loans administered through, through the SBA uh, that could be forgivable uh, to a certain extent um, if they're used for things like rent or, or payroll. Um, but also, I mean, it, it's just, you know, low bar. You can borrow now at a really low rate. And maybe the better way to, to do this is is to allow uh, uh, parties to say, OK, you know what? Look, we're we're going to be a little late on this rent, but we've we've got some um, uh, new money coming in from the feds. Hey, can we extend our, our, our lease term by another three months? And you just you just move it down the road that there, there are ways to handle this without a direct federal subsidy or direct intervention. Well, uh, yeah, I guess that would be yeah. that would be sort of the Republican answer, especially after what we've we the, what, uh, what has been done already. Yeah, well, I mean, yes and no. I agree that there are other ways to do it. The problem is, is uh, administratively, they're a lot trickier, right. no, uh, given yeah, that the system's already overwhelmed and, and, and you have people weren't prepared for this. Because, exactly, yeah. and you have yeah. people who you know are gonna are going to be out of a place to live and that's a real problem now especially so so that's well, really I, I mean I, I i again i think that may depend on a state to state sure. i know here in sure. ohio we have sort of a a moratorium on on any sort of uh you know i don't shouldn't say any kind of evictions because there are some things that are still proceeding yeah. but i mean the state has you know the supreme court has ordered uh, hey, courts, you're not going to hear anything um, on on these, you know, typical debt collection, uh, eviction type type proceedings yeah. until August at the earliest. But and and that's part of the problem is, you know, I'm I'm for loans. I think make sense in a short term a short term situation. But when you have a situation where yeah, the the amount that you're going to need to just stay afloat gets so high that even at zero interest, trying to pay that back becomes essentially impossible because if you're not going to get back that money, you know, if from some other revenue source, then you can't really right. ever 
payback. And and that's, I think, where we're getting at. I think, you know, uh, Jay Powell, the chair of the Fed, uh, earlier this week said, you know, we're, we're doing trillions of dollars worth of stuff, but hey, it's probably not going to be enough. And unless we go much bigger on the uh, on the uh, fiscal policy side of side of things, that we could be looking at a really serious longer term type of thing. And I think his point was we need to spend some now. And, and President Trump actually seems to be in favor of this, saying, you know, interest rates are at a historic lows and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So but, if, if you're going to do it, this is the time to do it. And you know, yeah. I, no, I, I completely get the uh, and as you remember, a couple of weeks ago, I mean, I, I sort of said we're all um, modern monetarists yeah. now. Yeah. And, uh, and, and there was some was a magazine or a paper that started a, a story with that that line. Yeah, I, I, I recall that. Yeah. But, but uh, um, I was going to say, you know, on the thing with the states, I I understand. I, I agree that it would be wrong for, say, a state like, by the way, one of the states with by far the worst pension system. I think we're right up there with uh, with uh, Illinois, uh, with with red with blue state Illinois is red state Kentucky, Mitch McConnell's own state, and he seems to forget to mention that. But uh, is has a horribly messed up pension system, and uh, I think it would be wrong for any state, red or blue, to try to get money out of the federal government to use for non-COVID things. But right. I, I also let a good crisis go to waste. But though. but I also think that it's totally reasonable to give states grants to deal with the direct costs of the pandemic, which I would include paying government employees because keeping people in their jobs is central to so much. And also, for, and also for funds to compensate for the loss of tax revenue due to the pandemic. Now, anything other than that, I think is asking too much, actually. So I don't think that you and I necessarily disagree a whole lot on that. Right, right, and I again, it would be matters of degree and, sure. and on specifics that we don't really know yet for sure yeah. because we don't have a final product to look at yet. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, on the liability issue, I, I want to say that I'm kind of I'm kind of confused by some of the arguments on the left, actually, because it seems to me that liability protection is is a reasonable ask, depending on how it's written. I mean, what sure. we don't want to do is put businesses in a situation where, well, you got to open to stay afloat, but if you do open up, you're now exposing yourselves to lawsuits that could close you. So, I mean, yeah. it's the same thing with people. We have to protect people too, but I think there's a compromise here. You know, I, I think there can't be a broad waiver of liability for businesses that do things like, say, require require employees to not wear masks, which some businesses are doing, reports are, or businesses that don't provide masks and other, you know, PPE to workers, or that don't take reasonable steps to ensure sure. things like, you know, uh, sanitized surfaces and stuff like that. And and if your business can't open under those conditions, then you shouldn't have liability protection. But if you can yeah. do those things, it, to me, uh, a short-term liability provision that's nationwide, so you don't have to worry about all these, you know, different state laws and processes. I think that goes a long way to helping us get back up on our feet. So it seems strange to me to just say, no, we're not going to do that at all. We're going to put workers first because it's, I don't see it as an either or thing. We need to lift up workers and businesses. And if we don't do that together, we're just asking for trouble, I think. Yeah, I, I think there's there are ways to certainly draft bills, and there's there are plenty of states uh, considering bills. Ohio's I'm I'm pretty familiar with uh, that there are, there are two versions right now that are 
moving through the legislature and and essentially both uh, say that there would be immunity, but it's it's a qualified immunity uh, and it wouldn't apply in in the cases of um, uh, intentional or or reckless or egregious. Um, and those are all terms that are then defined in in the bill. Yeah. Uh, and as, as well as, you know, they're, they're taking the definition from the common law. Um, uh, you know, so, so yeah, the, the types of, of someone who is, uh, willfully, um, uh, ignorant or, or uncaring, of, uh, you know, that sort of thing, uh, you would not be subject to the liability or for the liability protection. Um, and I think it's just a matter of writing, writing that, yeah. uh, that way. But, but so it seems to me here that both sides are just sort of in their negotiating posture and that there there are some pretty obvious compromises that are available on both sides. And I think that will happen. I mean, I think it's probably going to be maybe even it might even be early June before it happens. But I'm I'm fairly confident that we're going to see a third bill. I think it's going to be multi trillions, maybe not three, maybe more like two, and that it will include some liability protection uh as 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 republicans want as well as some uh, limitations on how states can use that money for things like can't use it for things like bailing out pension plans and so forth yeah yeah so you, you i think that's right yeah. yeah all right although i mean again i think you know something you learn in, in you know finance and state finances all money is fungible so yeah you know good point. Putting, putting limitations on you can't use it for this well okay you know there's, and, there's ways around that well but, and i get that, that, because, that i mean yeah. I, I that that may just have to be as as uh i think the analogy i used a you know a couple of weeks ago is look the house is on fire so you're you're uh you're using the fire hose yeah and there's gonna be some water damage spray a whole lot yeah. of stuff that that you yeah you're, you're, you don't mean to spray or don't want to under ordinary circumstances but this is where we are yeah and that that's an issue we haven't talked about but we'll be talking about for a long time in the future is the uh the, the fraud investigations and prosecutions that are going to come out of this boy this talk about a talk about a, a an attorney protection act if we ever needed one because oh my god this can you imagine thank all, goodness yeah. <laughs> you know you're, um, you're safe well man. no and, 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 I, and i would just i would put out there that to some extent uh that's a reason why i like sort of the loan approach a little better uh than than just a federal uh shelling out money because i think there is sort of a uh easier to enforce and more incentive to enforce um, Right, when I you're see. talking about private loans from private banks uh, tracking down fraud, mm, yeah, that's, I think that's not an unreasonable point. You know, the other the other point, the uh, the postal service bailout. I, I'm I'm actually in favor of that because right now is not the time to try to tell the postal service just to fix what you're doing and renegotiate your contracts and all that. But I think that sometime after we have successfully deployed a vaccine, so maybe summer of 2021, I, I would hope that there would be a pretty significant deregulation of the Postal Service so it can actually operate like a business and not end up in this situation again. And, and, and you know, maybe that means even largely privatizing it. And for people who get up in arms about that, there are plenty of countries in Europe, which far more socialist in other ways that have done that. And, you know, reasonably it's been, it's been fairly successful, but so I think this is not the time to tell the postal service to go to hell, but uh, certainly some changes need to be made, but this is not the time to just let the postal service just wither away. Basically, I think. Well, I, I mean, I, look, I, I, I think you're, you're, uh, you're speaking the truth there on a lot of these things where about, uh, uh, changes could be made to the postal office, postal service, so that it could be more competitive um, uh, and, and relevant. Because here, here's the thing: look, it's not as if 
there aren't companies out there delivering stuff to everybody all the time every day. Yeah. Um, it's just this one that state run uh, is can't keep up. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you there um, as far as do they need to be bailed out right now? I guess I, I just look in terms of priority as far as when we say bailed out. Um, uh, so you know, if, if, for... if we are if we are going to bail out somebody again, I'd I'd prefer that you know one that that we do through loans and and not just straight out bailouts. But uh, a second, if you are, then I'd prefer to see uh, private businesses bail it out, uh, small businesses as opposed to um, a big federal bureaucracy. But yeah. well, uh, again, I think here, the, the post- is, let's let's put it this way: how how many million for the the post office? Three billion. Uh, billion? It was uh, twenty five billion. Twenty-five billion. Well, that is a lot. Yeah, and they well, they, they for a long time now, for I think for several decades, they've had a uh, an open fifteen billion dollar line of credit. Congress passed that and some uh, a modernization or whatever, some kind of act, postal act. But they, that's that's pretty much totally tapped out right now. So uh, so yeah, but but you know, I I think. I think really it's the be- it's the worst of both worlds. You know, it's like it's like combine the worst aspects of a government bureaucracy and the business, and you get the yeah. postal service, and that's no yeah. way to run anything. I think so. It needs to be more one or the other, and either way is I think you can make it work, and we know models that it works. But this sort of hybrid model is just clearly. I mean, the the books don't lie. This model does not work, and it needs to be changed. Yep. All right. Well, we've had you know we've had a lot of agreement. On on this episode, very 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 weird. I think I don't know. It's like, but that's 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 nice for a change. Actually, I appreciate that. Let's uh, uh let's kind of move on, and we're kind of running a little long. But uh, talk about some non, maybe some non political or semi non political things that we might recommend this week. I'll start with you, Jay. Okay. Well, this was the recommendation that I, I was going to make last week, um, uh, but we ran out of time. Yeah, we totally and forgot you to do actually one. referred to this uh, a couple times in uh, when we were talking. Uh, is the good place which I've been binge watching on Netflix. Um, it, it is it is by the creator of of The Office and Parks and Rec, and it it uh, I told someone maybe the the best show ever. Uh, so I, I highly recommend that. Um, it's very smart, very clever, um, and and asks like I mean some some actually pretty serious questions. You know that that, that makes you think. Um, so anyway. Um, that's, that's my right. recommendation. Well, I got a couple things. One, I, I mean, I should like, yeah, I feel like I should be recommending something more highbrow than just no, like not at all. on Netflix, but, but these are, such are the times we're, we're living in. No, not at all. I, I'll go back to like highbrow. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, you, absolutely. I, I have no doubt. Uh, I'll recommend one thing kind of related to our last story. I'm, I'm late to the game on this, but I just only recently discovered the Facebook page UPS dogs. And it is one of my favorite things in the world. It's basically, you know, UPS drivers take pictures of the dogs that they give treats to and pet and so forth. And it makes oh. me happy. I, and I was concerned my, my, my good place thing wasn't going to be a highbrow enough. Oh, there you but. go. So yeah, yeah you're, you're way up there actually. So it, it's just a little fun thing that I look at every day and it makes me smile because dogs are awesome. Um, uh, also I'm been, I'm binge watching something as well. I'm binge rewatch, rewatching NYPD blue, which I watched back in a day. And I, I just, I'm totally, totally, completely addicted. Kimberly left that party a while ago, and now it's just every spare minute I have because I'm so burned out from the end of the semester. That's what I do. I plop down, spend a good 40 minutes with Andy Sipowitz and company and the 15th squad, and I am a, I am a happy guy. So that, and of course, I'm still working on my book. Thanks to, to Phil, especially a big thanks to you, Phil, and everyone else who's been helping me out with that. And I put the link there in, uh, uh, in the show notes. I've been a little 
slow in doing stuff this week because it's been finals week, but I will be adding on to some chapters and I really appreciate your, your comments and suggestions. So thank you very much for that. Okay. Well, that's it for today's show, but we have so much more we want to talk about. We want to talk about the Supreme Court and faithful selectors, big case this week, the Supreme Court and Donald Trump's tax returns and financial records, a big case this week. Justice Clarence Thomas just losing his shit and talking like a maniac and making Lord of (laughs) the Rings references. Oh, my God. So much to talk about. And we are going to talk about all of that on the uh, supporters exclusive show that airs midweek. So if you're interested in that, it's, you know, it's uh, politics, sorry, patreon.com slash politics guys to become a supporter. And again, remember, if you can't afford to send me an email, Mike at politicsguys.com, I'm more than happy to get you set up. And of course, uh, we also would appreciate it if you could subscribe to the show, leave ratings and reviews, and especially share on social media. If you want to get in touch with us, mail at politicsguys.com. There's our bipartisan politics subreddit, which I've been awful about being on the last couple of weeks. Again, the last couple of weeks of the semester, I just turned into survival mode, but I'm going to be much back on it much more. Thanks to everyone who's uh, kind of taking up all the slack there. Also, we've got a Facebook page where we post stuff, facebook.com slash politicsguys page, and we are on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producer of the Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andre Masker, Daniel Toe, and Chris Wilkerson. Today's show is produced by me, Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show next week. We hope you'll join us.